encourage you to take out your Bible, turn over to 1 Timothy 3. 1 Timothy 3, we're going to be in 1 Peter 5 in just a moment, but we're going to begin with 1 Timothy 3. So I encourage you to turn there in your Bible. And uh, I don't know about you, but how many are suffering from some pollen allergies today, right? Man, I'm battling it. So got my trusty water here, so we should be good. All right. So Peter writes in the first four verses of 1 Peter 5, which we'll get to in a moment, about the church as a flock of sheep that God gives to pastors and elders for their care. And when he says in 1 Peter 4, 17, for it is time for judgment to begin at the household of God, and if it begins with us, what will be the outcome for those who do not obey the gospel of God? It's been a couple weeks since we've been in 1 Peter. We're going to finish it up next week and then uh, uh, pause for Surf Sunday and move into Mother's Day and so on, but we'll get into 2 Peter after that. But Peter is saying here in these verses that God's house must be in order or it will fall apart. God doesn't give detailed descriptions about leadership for the church. He gives some general and very specific offices. But each church has its own personality, its own culture, and must contextualize the details of leadership that best fits each church. So the Bible does speak about pastor elders, deacons, deaconesses. And then beyond the Bible, you'll see in some churches that they have trustees and treasures as well and other uh, offices that they've added to it. Pastors and elders are qualified men who are called and appointed by men and voted on by the church family. They are the overseers of the flock who has been put the care on them for the physical and the spiritual needs of the church body. So what are some characteristics of sheep since the Bible often refers to the church as a flock of sheep and as the pastor and elders as shepherds. Well, sheep are ignorant and naive by nature. They need to listen to and follow the shepherd. That's why Jesus shares the need in Luke 15, 3 through 7, to go after stray sheep. Believers need shepherds to keep them accountable and to reach out and minister to them when they start to stray away. You might have read a couple weeks ago over in Europe, I forget which country, but uh, uh, one of the sheep went over the cliff and the whole herd ended up going over. And while not all of them died because they landed on the soft woolly ones of the one that went before, (laughs) the whole herd went over the cliff because they're naive. They, They follow other sheep. Sheep are defenseless. They need to be protected. They're an easy prey for predators. As believers, we need shepherds to protect us from false teaching. Psalm 23, verse 4 talks about that. Sheep need to be fed, and their shepherd is to continually be looking for water, for better pasture lands for them to feed on. Shepherds need to give a good, steady diet in the church from the word of God to care for the sheep, primarily spiritually, but also emotionally and physically. Sheep need the tender care of a shepherd to keep their wool clean. Do you know that sheep uh, secrete this oil called lanolin? And because that lanolin is there, it just draws dirt and debris and things to get stuck in their wool. And so the shepherd occasionally has to cut that out and take care of the sheep with all those problems. Well, the spiritual shepherds do everything they can to keep the flock of sheep in their care, seeking holiness and righteousness. Sheep are useful animals. They give the gifts of wool and milk. 
They produce, reproduce by creating little lambs, just like disciples in the church who are to be making disciples as well. Sheep can be and are used for food. And sheep are used in Jerusalem for sacrifices in the temple to cover sin. And we are to be in the modern day living sacrifices, you and I as believers in Christ, to God personally as sheep in God's flock. In the end, sheep need a good shepherd. With all that in mind, let's turn to our scripture reading and see, first of all, the characteristics of an under-shepherd, a pastor, elder of a flock given into his care. 1 Timothy chapter 3, 1 Timothy chapter 3, verse 1. The saying is trustworthy. If anyone aspires to the office of an overseer, he desires a noble task. Therefore, an overseer must be above reproach, the husband of one wife, sober-minded, self-controlled, respectable, hospitable, able to teach, not a drunkard, not violent, but gentle, not quarrelsome, not a lover of money. He must manage his own household well with all dignity, keeping his children submissive. For if someone does not know how to manage his own household, how will he care for God's church? He must not be a recent convert, or he may become puffed up with conceit and fall into the condemnation of the devil. Moreover, he must be well thought of by outsiders so that he may not fall into disgrace, into a snare of the devil. And may God add his blessing at the reading of his word this morning. We believe based on scripture and other scriptures that we could go to that infers that the pastor or elders of a church be male only. We believe in the complementarian view, not the egalitarian view. The egalitarian view believes, based on Galatians 3.28 and other verses, that all are equal in the church and women can serve in the same capacity as men. We believe in a complementarian view, which we see, go all, see we, it goes all the way back to Genesis, where Adam is responsible for the sin of Eve, that man is the head of the household, according to Ephesians 5, that Christ is the head of the church and the under-shepherds are under him. And we see that successive uh, desire of God to have men in leadership in the spiritual realm. There's a great book on this if you want to read more about it. It's by Alexander Strzok. It's called Equal But Different. That lays out the two arguments from Scripture, but I believe shows uh, the most valuable view of why we believe in complementarianism. But I want to say that as I say that, just as much the Bible allows women to be highly involved in the church, to be very influential, and uh, they have the ability to teach within the church scripture as well. Last week I mentioned that Jesus did, not, did a lot to elevate women to uh, the role of, of partnership and ministry with him and supporting him and providing for his needs. We read that in the Gospels. We also read about uh, Paul talking about all the women in his time of service that were come alongside and ministered with him. Uh, Phoebe and so many others that you can read throughout scripture. So God wants women to be elevated and use their talents and their gifts and abilities as much as scripture allows in the local church. So let's look at these first four verses. Turn over to 1 Peter chapter 5. 1 Peter 5, and I encourage you to take out your notes. Fill in these blanks. As we get an understanding of what the role, what the charge is for pastors and elders of the church. And I think Peter does this to help his people as they're going through personal persecution 
and to understand what the responsibility of leadership is in the midst of these difficult times. 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 1. We see the first blank there. It says, the charge to the elders who are called by God. The charge to the elders who are called by God. In verse 1, it says, so I exhort the elders among you as a fellow elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ, as well as a partaker in the glory that's going to be revealed. Notice that little word, so, or therefore. Those who are suffering persecution, that's who he's speaking to. Exhort means to call alongside, to encourage, to compel someone to go in a certain direction. And he's speaking to elders here. Now, in the New Testament, there are three Greek words that are used to talk about elders and pastors. And those three Greek words are synonymous. They're used interchangeably throughout the New Testament. You'll see them up on the screen. First of all, elder. Presbyterion, his role emphasizes the man's spiritual maturity necessary for ministry. That's the purpose for that term. Bishop and overseer, episkopos. When you think of the Episcopal Church, that's where they get this term, episkopos. His role is to be responsible, to be the guardian and the protector of the flock, as we read in 1 Timothy 3.2. The pastor shepherd or poimen, shepherd. His role is to feed and teach the truth of God's word faithfully. And then another word that talks about another office, and that's deacon, dekanos, which literally means to be a servant. And we see it also used in the Greek in a feminine sense for Phoebe in Romans 16, verse 1. So we believe she probably was the first deaconess uh, that we see in the Bible. These are the words used to describe the leaders of the church. Peter says in verse 1 that he is an elder. Now, isn't it interesting? He didn't call himself an apostle. He could have done that, but he wanted to identify with the fellow elders, those that were equal with him, those who were serving in other places where Paul had planted churches, that he was coming alongside and associating with them. He also talks here in the Greek of a plurality of elders. He uses the plural term. The need for numerous godly men is so vital in the church. Why a plurality of elders? Why are they so important to have more than one? Well, number one, it provides plenty of care for the flock of God. You notice the phrase flock of God in verse two, and we'll be using this term throughout the the message. God gives each set of elders in each church a flock from God to care for. Pleasant View Baptist Church is not my church. Pleasant View Baptist Church is not the elders' church. Jesus said that he would come and build his own church. This is Jesus's church. And specifically, this is the church from God that he's entrusted to the care of the elders and the pastor that the church family appoints. The spiritual leaders are merely managers or stewards, shepherds, if you will, of the flock God has assigned to them at any one time. Our current elders are Aaron Barfels and Mike Fenley and myself. Our deacons are Chuck Gibson and John Kendall. And our deaconesses are Janice Fenley, Carol Erda, and Chris Heddington. So we encourage you to pray for them and encourage them as they lead our church. Very wonderful people, do a fantastic job, put in many, many hours to serve. Our second reason that we can see for a plurality of elders is to protect the flock of God from error. To protect the flock of God from error. That's a big, big thing. Paul, as he was meeting with the Ephesian elders for the very last time, 
in Acts chapter 20, as he was about to head off to Rome, he said in verse 28, pay careful attention to yourselves and to all the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to care for the church of God, which he obtained with his own blood. I know that after my departure, fierce wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock, and from among your own selves will arise men speaking twisted things to draw away the disciples after them. In verse 31, he says, Therefore, you elders, be alert, be on the watch, be on the guard. Another reason for a plurality of elders is to provide safeguards, checks and balances, if you will, in the leadership of the church. In Proverbs eleven fourteen, it says, where there is no guidance, a people falls. But in abundance of counselors, there is safety. You see, to preserve the church from imbalance and leadership, God set up this idea of several leaders. And each leader coming together complements one another. They bring their own experience, their own wisdom, their own spiritual gifts, their own backgrounds, all together as mature men to come and complement each other. And some of us, as we meet together as men, and we divide up our circles of concern, we often do that based on the relationships that we have with people. And some of our elders connect better with other people than I do, and that's great. That shows that we have confidence that we can complement one another. Another reason for the plurality of elders there is to avoid an overemphasis of some doctrine, an overemphasis of some practice or unbiblical teaching. So the plurality of elders share in the care and the needs of the people. You might remember Jethro, Moses' father-in-law, came and saw Moses for long hours of a day judging the people as they came with their cases and trying to get wisdom and counsel as to what to do. Jethro said, this isn't wise. You're going to burn yourself out. Train other people to do the, the cases that aren't as difficult. Save the hard ones for yourself but delegate the responsibilities. And that's what's great about the plurality of elders, is we share the responsibilities. The primary responsibility for the pastor elder is to feed the sheep from God's word, to equip the sheep to do God's ministry in and through the local church with the goal of bringing people to maturity in Christ and to become disciple makers. That's what Ephesians 4, 11 through 13 teaches. Let's go back to our text for today. Under this point of the charge, Peter gave testimony to the suffering of Christ. In verse 1, he says, As a fellow elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ. Peter's writing here to the churches in Asia Minor and realizing their vulnerability to stray, to give up in the midst of severe persecution. He, he shares here the importance of having mature men lead them. The word witnessed here, that word has a twofold meaning. It means that Peter saw Jesus on the cross, saw him beaten, saw him go through the trials as he stood outside and warmed his hands as he you know, denied Christ. He saw the sufferings. He witnessed it firsthand. But second of all, he's to testify. The word witness there means martyr, to testify of what he has seen. We talked about last week how the women came to the tomb. And the angel said, Come and see, go and tell. Well, that's what Peter's saying here. I've seen it, and now I'm proclaiming it. I'm telling people about what I saw, the suffering of Christ. And then we see Peter and fellow elders will gain glory at the coming of Christ. 
at the end of verse one, he says, as well as a partaker in the glory that's gonna be revealed. He's saying here at the end of verse one, that he, Peter, will share with all the elders of God's church of all time, the glory that will be revealed at the coming of Jesus Christ. That when Jesus comes to the clouds in 1 Thessalonians 4 and takes up those who are dead in Christ and those who are alive up into the air. And then again, when he comes back the second time and places his foot, the last place he left planet earth at the Mount of Olives and Zechariah says that the ground will split when he arrives and he will destroy all those attackers that have surrounded Israel in the Valley of Megiddo. We know it as the Battle of Armageddon. That's when his glory will be revealed and the fellow elders will witness it and be there and see it for themselves. He is saying that these elders, that this is the essence of their hope in serving the flock of God that have been given to them. Partaker means fellowship, companion or partner in ministry. And that you as a fellow elder will share together with Peter the reward and the privilege of seeing the glory of Christ. You know, Peter had a short glimpse of that when he was on the Mount of Transfiguration. Remember Moses, Elijah, and Jesus and dazzling white light. And Peter thought about building some little booths for them to, to stay in. But of course, it ended very quickly. But he got a glimpse of seeing the glory of Christ. So the application here is that pastor elders are challenged, are challenged to serve the flock of God with a Christ-like attitude, and God will reward their service. That's what he's saying in essence here in verse 1. That as they follow the charge, God will bless and let them see the glory of Christ. Well, after Peter prefaces the charge to the plurality of elders, he gets specific about what they are to do. The second point is the caring, servant-like leadership of the flock of God. The caring, servant-like leadership of the flock of God. Look at verses 2 and 3 of 1 Peter 5. Peter says, Shepherd the flock of God that is among you, exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but willingly as God would have you, not for shameful gain, but eagerly, not domineering over those in your charge, but being examples to the flock. Be examples to the flock. Notice he says shepherd. That word shepherd means to tend to. That means to, to feed the sheep, to equip the sheep. Jesus told Peter three times in John 21 at that breakfast after the resurrection as Peter was reconciling with Jesus after denying him three times. Three times the Lord said, tend my sheep, Peter. Notice the phrase there, flock of God, the redeemed church, the ones whom God has given to the spiritual leaders. Flock is a term of endearment, a sign of how precious his church is. Those who have been elected by him, those who have been redeemed by him, those that Jesus shed his blood for. The universal church and the local church. Thinking of the universal church as the believers that know Christ, that have the unity of the spirit that connects us no matter where we are in the world as brothers and sisters in Christ. But then local churches like this and others all over the world to gather together, to help each other be accountable, to have fellowship and all the things and the blessings of gathering a church together. Peter gives three positive admonitions and three negative motives to avoid 
for the pastors and elders. The first one is this. The pastor elders are to exercise oversight of the flock of God willingly and not under compulsion. Willingly, not under compulsion. To exercise oversight means to look upon, to consider, to have regard for, to know your people, to know your flock. I love what the writer of Proverbs says in Proverbs 27, 23, know well the condition of your flocks as a shepherd and give attention to your herds. It follows the same line for pastors and elders as well. We have to know the condition of our flock and give attention to our herds. We're to be in relationship with them. We're to get the pulse of the people. We're to be discerning and aware of the needs of the flock so we know what to preach on, so we know what to teach on in Connect Group and Sunday School and other opportunities that we have to teach God's word in the church. It helps us know how to pray. It helps us to know where the benevolent needs are and how we can address those and meet those needs. The negative part of this here is not under compulsion, not because you have to. Someone who's lazy, who has to be prompted to do something out of a sense of duty. If you have to be prompted to do something in the ministry, then I question whether you're really called of God to the ministry. I think of one time when I was in youth pastor in New Jersey and I went to this bookstore, this Christian bookstore, and I heard this Assembly of God pastor talking to the owner of the store. He said, you know, I just don't know what to do with all my extra time. Do you think I could get a part-time job here? And I said, you want to come visit me at my church for a few weeks? You know, he guess he didn't understand all that was involved in ministry. We had a youth intern when I was in Kankakee at our church there, and uh, uh, he was there for just a few weeks, and we had to let him go. And one of the things that was interesting about this gentleman who felt called to ministry was that uh, he saw that we had a fundraiser going on outside, and we had 90-degree weather and 25 students out there washing cars, earning money to go to camp. And he was inside in the air conditioning eating his lunch. And I said, hey, don't you think maybe you should go out there? He says, ah, they got it all under control. <laughs> yeah. If you're not compelled to do that inwardly, if you're not self-motivated, you have to question whether you're called to the ministry. The calling for helping people with eternal souls is ingrained in you. You think about it when you wake up and when you go to bed. It's a way of life, much like a doctor. And all done, as it says in these verses, by the will of God, to please the chief shepherd as the under-shepherd. The pastor and elders are to eagerly serve the flock of God without seeking selfish gain. The second thing he says, they're to eagerly serve the flock of God without seeking selfish gain. Now, the pastor and the elder is not in the ministry to make money or acquire wealth, but because of the love of the flock and his calling. However, the labor is worthy of his hire. It says in 1 Timothy 5.18, for the scripture says, you shall not muzzle an ox when it treads out the grain and the laborer deserves his wages. I remember hearing elders in other churches that I served at that they thought it was spiritual to keep the pastor poor. They would keep him humble and seeking after God and trusting him. I've heard that from other pastors as well. But the local church should give the pastor and staff a wage that they can live off of. A good rule of thumb is to find out the average or the median cost of the community the church is in and strive to pay your pastor and staff to that level if possible. 
And Diane and I, we so appreciate over these 13 years how well that you've taken care of us financially, spiritually, emotionally in many ways. And we thank you from the bottom of our heart because you've done a tremendous job. But eagerly and without hesitation, he says you're to serve where ministry is needed. Paul said in 1 Corinthians that he was compelled by the love of Christ to go and reach the Jewish and the Gentile people. In Romans 1.15, he says, So I am eager to preach the gospel to you also who are in Rome. You see his passion because of his calling. Side note here, while Peter is talking to the spiritual leaders of the church, guess what? The flock of God who should demonstrate these same difficulties and characteristics are supposed to be pointed out as well. We are all called to give generously of our time and our talents and our treasure, of our spiritual gifts for the good of others, and allow God to supply our needs as we give of ourselves. Philippians 4.19 says, And my God will supply every need of yours according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. Tremendous promise that we can hold on to. And that's not just the physical and the, and the financial, but the emotional needs as well. Well, the shepherd must speak the hard truths of Scripture when needed for the flock to hear in love. The pastor's not to always be the one that everybody uh, appreciates and loves all the time because sometimes he has to be honest and share the truth no matter where that may lead. And that's difficult. He, the pastor elder needs to be not just what the church wants, but what the church needs at that time. That's an important distinction. Warren Wearsby, when he was pastoring the Moody Church in Chicago, he had someone come up after the service and say to him, it must be hard to keep all these people happy. And Warren Wearsby said, I don't even try to keep them happy. I try to please the Lord and let him take care of the rest. And that's a good balance for us as leaders. Respect and support of the church family are needed. In Hebrews 13, 17, it says, Obey your leaders and submit to them, for they are keeping watch over your souls as those who will have to give an account. Let them do this with joy and not with groaning, for that would be of no advantage to you. The third admonition and negative motive that you need to avoid in ministry as pastors and elders Pastors and elders are to be examples in ministry to the flock of God, but not domineering. They need to be examples, but not domineering. The pastor elder needs to set the examples by doing some of the ministry himself. The primary thing that the pastor and the elders do are to equip the people, give them the resources and the freedom to fulfill the ministry that God has called them to do, using their passion and their spiritual gifts. And I take this very seriously. When I was youth pastor in New Jersey, I wanted to make sure that I was out in the community. How could I ask my people to share the gospel in a secular setting if I wasn't willing to do it myself? And so I became a track coach for two years at Audubon Junior High School. And we were able to have an event with 100 of those kids to come and hear the gospel as a result of putting those two years in and building a relationship. In my church in Kankakee, I learned how to teach adult literacy. And I remember Larry was assigned to me, and we met at the Kankakee Library week after week for two years. Larry was 45 years old, 
lost his job of 20 years or so. He couldn't read an application to be able to fill it out. And so he had a third grade reading level. And by the grace of God, over two-year period, he got up to an eighth grade level as we met, and he filled out application and got a job. What a blessing that was in my life to give to that. And of course here, to be involved at Scott Community College, where I have a boss who evaluates me, who comes in the classroom, who makes me accountable to him as I share the gospel in those secular opportunities. So I want to be an example, and we all need to be examples as leaders as well. John MacArthur said this, the most important aspect of spiritual leadership and the best test of its effectiveness is the power of the exemplary life. Not asking people to do what you're not willing to do. And so while the elder and pastor, the pastor elder is not to do all the ministry, and the pastor's staff are not paid to do all the ministry, the pastor does set the example, and the pastor and elder should never ask the flock to do things that they're not willing to do themselves. Hebrews 13:7 says, Remember your leaders, those who spoke to you the word of God, consider the outcome of their way of life and imitate their faith. The spiritual leader or leaders are not to be tyrants or dictators. They're not to be controlling people and micromanaging everything. They give the people the resources and the ability to use their creativity and their personality to carry out the kingdom work. The spiritual leader gives the volunteers freedom to fulfill their calling and not constantly looking over their shoulder and dictating every detail that needs to be done. That's why I love about Awana, because as a commander, uh, we have key people in key places. And to be honest with you, I don't even know what goes on in the cubby room down there. I don't even step foot. They don't really want me in there because I'm not super gifted at that, but they've got great leaders. And you let them go and you trust them and they do a great job. And the spiritual leaders should never be accused of driving people, of intimidating people, of abusing people to grow the church numerically. We see these scandals in recent years. The breakup of Harvest Bible Church because of the downfall of the leader, James McDonald. We see Mark Driscoll Mars Hill out in the northwest part of our country, out there in Seattle, and how that ministry fell apart because of a domineering leadership. There's a docuseries right now on Discovery Plus, three one-hour segments about Hillsong, and you read about all the things that are going on there. Everything in leadership should be transparent and full of integrity. The leaders need to be the same people in person as they are in leadership to the best of their ability and practice what they preach. Back to Pastor Warren Wearsby said the effective pastor needs both relationships. He must be among his people so that he could get to know them, their needs and problems, and he needs to be over his people so he can lead them and help them solve their problems. There must be no conflict between pastoring and preaching because they are both ministries of faithful shepherd. So here's the application for our second point. Pastors and elders are to serve the flock with the goal of doing what is best for the flock of God. That's what we're charged to do. That's what we're going to be held accountable for when we stand before God and give an account of our leadership with the flock, to serve the flock with the goal of doing what's best for the flock of God. And lastly, in verse 4, Peter talks about the conferring of the crown of glory, the reward, the conferring of the crown of glory. 
Look at verse four. And when the chief shepherd appears, you'll receive the unfading crown of glory. The pastor elder will give a report of their joyful and faithful service to the flock of God, to the chief shepherd. The chief shepherd is Jesus Christ and the pastor and elder, they're the under shepherds. Jesus is called the good shepherd in John 10. The analogy of shepherding is seen throughout the Old and New Testament. We think of Psalm 23, where it talks about him being the good shepherd as well. The rod and the staff, they were given to the shepherd to comfort his people. Notice the crook and the rod to put it underneath the belly of the lamb who's straying away and bring him back. The rods used to prod them to go the direction that they need to go. Jesus is called the great shepherd in Hebrews 13. God is called the true shepherd in Ezekiel chapter 34. Every spiritual leader, as I said, will give an account of how they led and served the people in the flock that God has entrusted them with. And so James 3.1 is always an interesting verse, but a sobering verse to think about. It says, not many of you should become teachers, my brothers, for you know that we who teach will be judged with greater strictness. To whom much is given... Much will be required. Do your job carefully, soberly, thoughtfully. And to repeat Hebrews 13, 17, obey your leaders and submit to them, for they are keeping watch over your souls as those who will give, have to give an account. Let them do this with joy and not with groaning, for that would be of no advantage to you. So as part of our church family, please continue to follow Christ and share words of encouragement to allow the pastors and elders to serve this church family with joy. The responsibilities of the elders are overwhelming. The things that are going on in this world, the things that are going on in the Christian world, the things that are going on in the lives of our people with illnesses and issues and things happening in life, it's an overwhelming job. But please read the elder reports that come out every two months and pray for the elders. Pray for the deacons, the deaconesses, the staff, the ministry team leaders, as well as all the faithful workers that are involved in the ministries of our church. And lastly, Peter says, the pastor elders will be rewarded for their faithful service to the flock of God. They will be rewarded. The shepherds of the flock who faithfully serve the flock of God given to them will be rewarded with the same reward Peter received, the unfading crown of glory. See, the reward is not coming from the sheep, but it's coming from the chief shepherd, Jesus Christ himself. In the ancient world, crowns were given to represent achievement. And sometimes they were adorned with flowers as well for decoration. Unfading, they think that that comes from this amaranth flower of the ancient time. The amaranth flower apparently bloomed and never lost its bloom and rarely faded away. That's the idea of unfading here in the text. But the reward that will be given will be in equal proportion to the faithful service to the Lord. I always like to read last words of people before they leave planet Earth. It really kind of summarizes and tells you about their life in a nutshell. In 2 Timothy 4, we read the words of the Apostle Paul before he was executed. He said, for I, have, I am already being poured out as a drink offering. I'm about to end, lose my life. I'm about to, to end it all. And the time of my departure has come. I've fought the good fight. I've finished the race. I've kept the faith. Henceforth, there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness, 
which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day. And not only to me, but also to those who have loved his appearing. Talk about Paul sharing the glory, the reward will be passed on to those who are faithful servants to the Lord. The pastor elder is motivated to make it possible for any Christ follower who wants to mature in their faith and come as close to being like Jesus they can in this life. They must preach, teach, equip, set the example and support people in ministry to that end. In Colossians 1, 27 through 29, Paul said this, to them God chose to make known how great among the Gentiles are the riches of the glory of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Him we proclaim, warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom that we may present everyone mature in Christ. And Paul says, for this I toil, struggling with all his energy that he powerfully works within me. Paul's whole life, even the inward drive, was to make as many people as mature in Christ as possible by the teaching of the word, by equipping the church and providing them with leadership and elders as he planted the church, as he shared the gospel. So should be the same role and goal for us as pastor elders. The pastor elders lead by serving and serve by suffering. And this is the way Jesus did it, and this is the only way that truly glorifies him. He said in Matthew 20, he says, even as the son of man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Here's our last application as we come to the end of the message here. Pastors and elders who serve the flock of God faithfully look forward to hearing God's well done as their eternal reward. That's the goal. And it's not a matter of how big your church is numerically. It's not based on how many souls that you've won to Christ. Those things are very important. We love to see numerical growth. We love seeing people come to Christ. But pastors and elders are going to be judged on their faithfulness to preach the whole counsel of God and to provide ways to help mature the body of believers. Thank you, church family, for being such a great group of sheep to shepherd and to serve with. And I mean this sincerely that, you know, I've served in three other churches full-time, been involved in other churches and helping them along the way. And I wouldn't trade the problems that we have in this church for any problems that any other church has. Because we have mature leaders, we have mature people, and we work well together to reconcile and work through these issues. The key thought is the under-shepherds must reflect the attitudes and characteristics of the loving chief shepherd in joyful service to the flock of God, whom God has given into their care. Must reflect and be joyful in service. Here's some questions to ponder. I usually don't bring these up too often, but I usually leave them in the notes for you to take home and look throughout the week. Here's some application to this sermon. First of all, you're consistently praying for the elders and pastor to have the mind of Christ as they oversee the spiritual, physical, and emotional needs of the church family. Second of all, are you respectful and supportive of those God has placed in leadership at PVBC? And also, thirdly, how can you encourage your spiritual leaders of the church this week? Let's bow for prayer. Father, we thank you for the great flock that you've given us the privilege and the honor to, to lead.
We thank you for our leaders, all levels of leadership in our church. Everyone is important. Everyone plays a key role. And I thank you for the balance. I thank you for the fact that we have all the spiritual gifts in our church family that we need to minister to the needs of not only our church, but out in our community as well. So Lord, we rejoice. We count our blessings. We're encouraged today. But Lord, help us to be mindful. Keep us faithful. Help us to be attentive to uh, the attacks of Satan and the attempts to bring heresy and false teaching into the church. And help us, Lord, just to be your servants that you will bless. And we look forward to the day of seeing you and seeing your glory face to face. We pray and ask these things now in Jesus' name. Amen.